Welcome to the Gotta Go Lean podcast. Listen to this episode and others at www.velaction.com. That's V-E-L-A-C-T-I-O-N.com. I'm Jeff Hajek, founder of Velaction Continuous Improvement. Enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Jeff Hajek. I'm here today with Karen Martin. She is one of the co-authors of a new book, Value Stream Mapping, How to Visualize Work and Align Leadership for Organizational Transformation. And she wrote this with Mike Osterling. He's been on a couple other podcasts on, on my site in the past. So, um, you know, they're in good company. Both of these people are very sharp. And um, I always like to give the author a quick moment to just talk about the book, you know, why they wrote it. Um, so go ahead, Karen, just tell us a little bit about why this book came into being. Well, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. You know, this book was about 10 years in the making, and it was after Learning to See had been released and then the Complete Lean Enterprise that I was working with clients, and over and over and over, they were asking questions like, you know, how does this apply to my world? How do I do value stream maps in my industry? And there didn't seem to be one resource that people could turn to that would address the full gamut of value stream mapping, the planning, you know, team formation, the actual mechanics of mapping and all of the execution of the improvements that are being designed. And there also wasn't one resource that talked about how do you do this in software development? How do you do this in healthcare? How do you do this in financial services? So we were getting a lot of requests. And then as I was working with, and Mike both, we were working with our separate clients and then some clients together in value stream mapping, they would constantly say, you know, what can we read to prepare in advance? And I, we didn't feel that there was really one resource that we could give people that in our world, in the non-manufacturing world, or at least in my world, non-manufacturing, could really address the full preparation that they needed to get into value stream mapping. And so after lots and lots of, of conversations with others, actually trying to convince them to write the book, and them saying no, <laughs> that Mike and I finally said, okay, that we really do have to have a book out here that addresses these areas. So that's, that's why we decided to go ahead and do it. Well, you know, we were trying to arrange this and we actually had to pull the date up a little bit. And because of that, I had to compress time to really look over the book and get into it. One of the things I like about it is it's very, it's a, it's a quick read it's 120, 140 pages, something in that range. Mm -hmm. So it really distills down just the facts that you need. And I haven't seen a lot of that. You know, a lot of people like to think that you get more value if the book is longer. And, and this book just gives you just what you need. And, and I like the way you've, you've written it because I can recommend it to my, you know, people I'm working with as a, a quick way to get up to speed on value stream mapping. Um, yeah, we we really try to practice the phrase, you know, minimum necessary for maximum outcomes and, and in writing the same way because you can go on and on. And we had to make many, many decisions on what to cut 
from the book in order to have it be a concise, you know, kind of easy read type of book. But, you know, you don't really gain all of the nitty gritty detailed insights that you need to be a proficient value stream mapper or facilitator of the activity from reading one book anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's really through practice. Reading the book will hopefully be a great jump start for many people. And then through practice, they can get better and better at, at value stream mapping. Well, the other thing I really like about the length is people just consume knowledge differently nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, when you throw a 400-page book in front of somebody, they skim it or they pick the highlights and go research it online. Right. And this book is one of those – it's right in its sweet spot of, of somewhere you can go and sit down in a day or two and really enhance your skills. And I'm, I'm a big advocate of personal development, taking a you know a proactive approach. So, so this book fits into that, that mixture. Thank you. I'm glad you think so. We, we really tried very, it was very strategic to make the book the length and, and have the style of writing in it that, that's there. Yeah, it's, it's a changing world and you gotta find the way to meet your target audience. And that's really what the value stream map is about, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it about is. finding that value and how to get to it. You know, as I coach my teams about value stream maps, you always come into these insights, these revelations, what would be like the biggest revelation you've ever encountered with the value stream map? What I'm trying to do here is give a sense of the impact of, of using this tool. Well, I'm, I'm going to actually mention two if I could, because they tend to be repeated client after client after client, uh, thematically. So one area is there always seems to be in every value stream mapping activity in my experience, at least one aha that has to do with culture that Maybe a couple of people in the organization saw, but not everyone saw together, or they didn't see the degree to which it exists. So, for example, two weeks ago, I was working with a client where on day two of a three-day mapping activity, the field-based leadership team were starting to say, yeah, you know, we like the idea of this future state design, but there's no way we can execute this. And, you know, when I asked why, it was because they said there was such a culture of blame in the company that there was a feeling of very, very low risk of making a commitment that was a customer commitment in this case that they could possibly be wrong on because there was such a culture of blame and um, kind of distrust and everything that it would be just a nightmare and no field person, no leader would take the risk at making a customer commitment. Mm-hmm. And the operation side and, and the and the leadership executive team in this organization had no insight and no clarity around that being a problem. In fact, they knew that it had been a problem in years back, but they thought the problem had been resolved. And it took some pretty tricky facilitation, to be honest, in mediating these two perspectives to help everyone see the truth as it exists today. And it was a fundamental discussion that allowed the team to move forward in believing the future state was the right thing to do and it could be done. Not not easy to implement, but that cultural shift could occur and needs to occur in order for that future state to be realized. Well, yeah, that's that's one of the really nice things about tools like this is just the scrutiny itself sets you apart from the competition. You know, yep. most people aren't looking at themselves. Yeah, and you know, most kind most of the time, not any one person understands the full way that work flows mm-hmm. through a value stream, and so that that insight is very powerful. The, the second thing that's quite common is realizing that something is being done improperly that a full team isn't in the know about. And sometimes it's all the way to where something is 
being done that's illegal. I mean, not usually intentionally. It's mm-hmm. usually someone not understanding what a regulation really is saying. Yeah. And, and, but those kinds of discoveries are so vital for designing a future state that's compliant and meets, you know, both any kind of company internal policies that are, uh, in place from a risk mitigation perspective or, you know, an actual state, local, federal statute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's very often an aha that there's something being done incorrectly, which goes to show why you have to have such a great degree of trust when you're looking at the current state and doing that deep dive. You know, the team has to feel very comfortable and safe revealing the truth. And that getting to that truth is the crux of the, the current state phase. Well, yeah, and when you get that aha moment, when everybody just has the light bulb come on, it's really easy to move forward. But yes. one of the things you mention is that there's a, a set of barriers to value stream maps. And one of the things you say specifically is that it's very frequent that somebody does a current state map and then never moves forward from that. <laughs> yes. like why would people go through that effort and create this tool and then not use it? Well, I see actually a little more frequently than a current state with nothing else is a current and a future state with nothing else. And so they'll go through the process of designing and most organizations are actually fairly proficient in analyzing and deciding what should be done. Where they stumble is doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so execution becomes the, you know, where the rubber meets the road. And I have many, many clients who, over the years who have decided not to engage for, you know, ongoing assistance in implementing and, uh, and making the actual transformation to the, to the design, to the, to the value stream. And, you know, very often when I call a month later and two months later and probe, I find that not much has happened. And that's because there are just so many distractions in the typical organization. Well, do you think people go into the value stream mapping process expecting to move forward or? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do think, I think everyone is well intended. And they intend to move forward. And then, you know, when the team disbands after three days of being together and get sucked back into the vortex mm-hmm. of daily life and fighting fires and all of that, you know, moving forward on improvement, as we know in our industry, you know, improvement is always the thing that takes the back seat, unfortunately, to fighting the fire of the day. Absolutely. Yeah, so I do think they're well-intended. So back to the current state and doing just a current state map, you know, I actually find there being a little bit of value in doing a current state map only. And I don't mean a lot of value, a little hey, value. You Go mentioned ahead. that in the book. I remember that. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly you're not going to make improvement from mapping a current state. But very often leaders are really misaligned on what really happens, what needs to happen, you know, who the customer really is, what the customer really values. And just getting everyone to see the current state through the same lens is sometimes a necessary first step. You know, it's, it's not a step we like to stop at because obviously we want to see improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but just the ahas that come out of that current state and understanding how they all interconnect can be actually a pretty powerful, um, activity for a leadership team to go through. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that you have your current state map all done, one of the things that often happens is if you do decide to move forward, you project out the gains that you're going to get from your future state. And I had an old boss that this is regarding Kaizen report outs, not necessarily just value stream maps. But he said, if you took all the 
poured out projected gains and compiled them, we'd be a two billion dollar company, you know, with twenty seven employees and a ninety four percent profit margin. And and the meaning there is that we often inflate the the projected gains. Now I can see when you do that in a small kaizen event, but the question for you is in in a in a value stream map, do you tend to underestimate or overestimate the gains that you can get? Well, so as a facilitator, I'm asking the team to give what they feel is is achievable. And so if they realize all the improvements that are on the future state, what do they believe based on their current performance will be their future performance? And actually what I find is that they tend to underestimate what the actual performance is going to be. Well, that's kind of why I asked the question is it's kind of curious what you'd seen. Yeah, they tend to underestimate because a lot of people just can't believe that you could possibly get those kinds of gains. Yeah, exactly. But the other thing that's that's kind of a trick in this whole thing is that, you know, that future state estimate is based on a frozen point in time. And in reality, you know, if an organization is doing a decent amount of improvement, nothing's frozen in time. Mm-hmm. And so, the you know, the estimates are really only there to show the capability the organization has to make improvement. But then, you know, when you actually start making improvement and you're constantly making more improvement, then those numbers aren't valid for very long. Well, that, that's the, the chronic problem, like in our line of work, is that we've seen some pretty amazing gains. But if you pitch that to people, it's hard for them to to believe that. And, well, yeah. And you had to toe that line. Yeah, and that's why, you know, the whole discussion around ROI, return on investment, mm-hmm. is an interesting one is, you know, because there's so much about improvement if you're doing it the right way that makes ROI impossible to really estimate. And, you know, you can really judge a CFO very quickly mm-hmm. about how much he or she gets what lean is about based on the kinds of questions they ask around ROI. Oh, yep. yep. Well, so- one of the things you just mentioned is, is interesting because it leads into my next question. Now, one of the words you used earlier was snapshot, and that's one of the things that people look at a value stream map as. They think it's a snapshot, and the implication there is if it's just a, a look at how things are done, you could use a single person to go through and do a current state map. But you recommend using a team of up to 10 people. So the question is, is why is that? Is the process unrepeatable? You know, why couldn't you just have one person do it? Well, it, it's actually, uh, it's not about the map. So this is the trick about value stream mapping that a lot of organizations, you know, kind of fall down on is that they, they get so hung up on what the map itself is. Mm-hmm. And it's really the process of mapping that is the transformative activity. So in other words, if you get a team of cross-functional leaders together, most of the time in the current state, they don't really understand each other's pain points. They don't really understand at a macro level where the disconnects, redundancies, and gaps are in the value stream. They don't see how they're actually affecting each other. So it's a little bit of a psychological reason to put this team together for the current state so that they can come to the same conclusions and see the current state through the same lens to prepare them for designing a future state that works well for the customer of the value stream and it starts breaking down some of those functional silos of, well, we do it this way because it's my team and it's my process and it's my department, you know, and, and so the whole process of doing current state mapping well in a team formation is about getting to that future state mm-hmm. and and getting them to work together as a team to design that future state. 
there's a big implication that you have to pick the right team and, and have an understanding of who the players are when you're putting the team together. Absolutely. The team formation is highly strategic. I, I was on a call this morning with a client. We were on the call for an hour and we only got through the scoping, figuring out what the target condition really is. And then we got through maybe three names in an hour because it's, you just have to be very, very clear on what you're trying to achieve and what your scope's going to be before you even begin to think about who are the right players, you know, to have on the team and at what level in the organization is the correct level to have on the team. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to move on now to some a little different tack on the questions. And I'm going to go into a little bit more of a speed round. And these are, you know, quick questions, how to, to help the people who already have a, a pretty good understanding of value stream map. Okay. Okay. So first question is on value. You know, value stream map obviously has value as part of it. How would you go about a value stream map when you have uh, a segmented customer base? They each have a little different definition of value. Uh, either the value stream needs to be segmented to only be the value stream for one customer if the process changes, or you have to pick a path to follow. Okay. Second question. Um, one of the things you recommend is a three-day event where you go through the, the current state mapping, the future state, and then an action plan development. But one of the problems people run into is they find these data gaps in the current state. What do you recommend there to be able to keep going through your three days when you have a, a gaping hole in your data? Uh, it's all in planning. Planning is critical for a successful value stream mapping. And so you're assessing in the planning stage what data is available, what's not, what's gettable, as I call it, what's mm-hmm. not. And you're just preparing for that first day to have as much data available as not. Second thing, I know it's a rapid round, but second thing is, in most cases, you've got to go to the Gemba. The Gemba has the data very much of the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it's not sitting in a room designing this map without going out and talking to the people who do the work and collecting data if it's, if it's available. Um, that, you know, so you make those decisions during planning. Well, that's one of the challenges with an interview like this is, you know, we can't cover everything and going to Gemba is really critical. I don't think we've mentioned that yet because we're talking about bigger picture things. But you got to do a value stream map at the Gemba. You know, you can't just do it from memory. Right. Um, okay. Next question. Uh, one of the things you do in a value stream map is discuss how many people are assigned to a process. In the office, people have eight different jobs and it's not the same every day. How do you account for that? Well, if you'll notice in the back of our book where we have the appendices of sample maps, very few of the maps have the number of people that do it. So that's classic value stream mapping that we learned in learning to see. But in the office environment, it sometimes becomes less relevant because of this problem that you've articulated. So, you know, we often will highlight if there's a problem with people not being available when the work arrives because they're juggling multiple responsibilities and priorities. We'll document that. But we don't get into kind of, you know, staffing ratios and figuring out resources at the value stream level. That's done afterwards when you get down into the weeds. Okay. And let's go one more. Um, one of the issues that people sometimes struggle with is the distinction between creating a new product and actually selling that product. And, and I had talked to you about, you know, the example of the book. You can have a process, you know, value stream of writing a book and getting a book on market and then actually fulfilling. It also applies to any other new product. If you have a new widget, there's this engineering value stream to get a new widget developed and then to sell it. How do you keep the confusion down in that situation? 
Well, the way we view it is it really is all one big value stream. It's, you know, a mother value stream that has segments or babies within it that are pieces of the big value stream. So it does go from concept to sales. And frankly, it can go from concept to, you know, mm-hmm. um, a product being pulled off the marketplace. Yeah, so it can go all the way, you know, from cradle to grave. And so it just depends on what the problems are you're trying to solve. And, you know, if the, if the value stream's ever been looked at before or not, you know, where you're at on the, where the organization's at on their journey, how mature they are on whether or not you tackle the whole value stream at once or not. I, I do it. I do it pretty regularly. Um, but it does take a different, a different amount of planning to look at the entire value stream, um, in a three day activity. Well, that's, that's a good kind of wrap-up point here. And and one of the things that you, you mentioned, it kind of starts me thinking when we have these discussions, is that, you know, the value stream map, there isn't a, this is exactly how you do it. Right. You know, it's it's a tool that you have guidelines on. You know, A3 report, we've talked about this in the past. There's like a framework, a structure. But as you get better and better and practice it, you learn how to adjust it for the the certain situations that you're facing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So value stream mapping is the same way. You know, one of the things that we say is there's as much art to it as there is science, Mm -hmm. but there is science. And so you you do have to flex based on the situation, the conditions, make the map, you know, reflect as accurately as possible the current state without it becoming overwhelming so that it achieves the purpose of educating people. It's really a learning document. Um, and so it's, there definitely is a lot of art to it. And that's where a skilled facilitator earns his or her stripes in, in figuring out which is, which is the art of what that value stream is going to be like. Okay. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap up and thank you again, Karen, for visiting and, and helping us with this podcast today. And we're looking forward to the next one. Thank you so much, Jeff. And the next book. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Just one last thing before I really do sign off. Karen's book is available at Amazon.com and on her website at www.ksmartin.com. I'll make sure that I put links on this podcast webpage so you can find the book easily. Thanks for listening to the Gotta Go Lean podcast. You can find more episodes at www.velaction.com. That's V-E-L-A-C-T-I-O-N.com. Thanks for listening.